Welcome to the Eastman Dental Podcast, where we hope to inspire, motivate and provide education from our guests' experience. Uh, On this week's episode, we're going to be talking about specialty training. The body of literature in all different specialties is growing. And I think the general practitioner in any type of medical field uh, would find it very difficult to be a generalist at this stage. Um, but then once you've completed your three years in orthodontics, then you can choose to do what's known as post-CCSD training, which is where you do an additional two years. You're already a specialist. You do an additional two years on top of the three years to then become a consultant. With your host, Josh Hudson. Within the UK, there's 13 different dental specialties. And I think often there's a lot of confusion about the process of um, becoming a specialist and getting onto those registers. Uh, And within this episode, we're gonna talk a little bit about that process and hopefully uh, alleviate some of that confusion. So with me today, we have on my left, Olivia Johnson-King, who's a third year trainee in orthodontics. And then to my right, we have uh, Mohammed Alkazi, who is a third year trainee in uh, periodontology. Um, Just to start off with, I think it would be good for our listeners just to have a little history, a little bit of your background. So Mohammed, if you want to start, what is your uh, history that's got you to this point that you're at now? Yeah. Um, So um, my name is Mohammed, as you said. I'm from Saudi Arabia. Um, I was trained back in Saudi Arabia, Mm -hmm. had my BDS. um, And then I did a few years in practice. Um, I did a diploma. Um, in implant dentistry, mm-hmm. and then I started applying for for a perio program, and uh, yeah, Eastman was one of the programs that was particularly attractive to me. Okay, um, I mean, there's a, there's a world renowned uh, kind of mantra around the Eastman, and mm-hmm. um, the perio department is a part of that as well. And are you here? And Olivia, what was your story up until this point? Yeah, so hi everyone, my name is Olivia. Um, so I grew up in London and studied, studied in London as well. So I did my undergraduate t- training at um, King's College London Dental Institute. Um, graduated in 2016 and actually during my training, I did an intercalated BSc in regenerative medicine as well, because that was something I was interested in. Um, then following graduating, basically I worked in general dental practice and then I wanted to get a bit of experience in hospitals. So then I did dental core training. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did my dental core training year one here at the Eastman. So that was in max fax and oral surgery. And then following on from that, then I did a year in pediatric dentistry for DCT year two. And that was at Guy's and St. Thomas's. And then now I'm currently a third year trainee in orthodontics here at the Eastman. So yeah, that's my story. Perfect. So, so both of you have had a bit of career experience before you got to this point. So what was it that made you decide to take that step to pursue specialty training rather than staying in practice or rather than doing anything else? Hmm. Um, I think um, the the practice of medicine and dentistry in general is shifting towards precision medicine, uh, shifting more towards personalized medicine. Uh, trying to engage with the patient. The body of literature in all different specialities is growing. And I think the general practitioner in any type of medical field uh, would find it very difficult to be a generalist at this stage. Um, it used to be much, much easier 20 or 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. At this point, is is quite difficult. So at that point, I decided that I probably need to um, start refining my practice a little bit more and start focusing on exactly what I like uh, to be able to help the patients as well. 
uh, in providing the best care I can give to them. So was it more for yourself, for your own development? So if you were able to do um, procedures that you were happier with, more comfortable with, or was it for your patients and being able to provide the best care? Did you feel that as a generalist, you wouldn't necessarily be able to always provide that consistent high quality care? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, that, that phrase it quite nicely. I think when I thought about this, um, this, is a, this is a career choice that is gonna stick with me for the next at least 30 years in my practice. Yeah. So at that point, when I graduated and I started looking around, um, I felt everything was developing a lot. Uh, there is a there's something that I heard uh, from one of my previous professors that really resonated with me. He said the half-life of a medical piece of information uh, is about seven years. Mm-hmm. So the things that I w- the things that I was taught at dental school uh, were not particularly valid three or four years after I graduated. So at that point, I felt that I needed to to, to make a decision for myself mm-hmm. uh, to be able to to consistently practice high quality medicine, uh, high quality dentistry, um, and obviously, um, I liked perio. I liked doing surgeries. Um, I liked providing that kind of care. So that's where I was attracted. So, yeah, so it's impossible to keep on top of everything, right? You can't be on top, up to date with every single procedure. And that's why you felt that narrowing down was, was yeah. relevant. What about you, Olivia? How did you end up uh, yeah. pursuing a specialty? Yeah, so for me, I mean, I agree pretty much with what you'd said just there. I think it's really, really important to provide that personalized care for patients. For me, the reason why I pursued specialty training, so first of all, I love orthodontics. Um, it's something that I was got sort of interested in actually when I was about a teenager. So when my brother was a child, he under, underwent orthodontic treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found it really interesting from then just going to the dental appointments with him. Yeah. Um, what I love really about orthodontics is I love the treatment planning aspect, your forward planning, thinking about the patient. Often it's their growth of their teenagers with adults thinking about, for example, orthognathic patients planning surgeries. I love all of that. Um, And also it's just that striving for perfection. So wanting to get the best possible smile for the patient. But I think in, you know, with any specialty, the main thing is you're able to provide that really advanced and highly specialized care for the benefit of the patient. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why really the main reason why I went into specialist training was exactly for that. So much like you said, providing the best care and highly specialized care for patients. Okay, that's great. Um, so I guess the next the next thing to think about is so you decided that you wanted to specialize in something, you've both chosen your own fields. Um, and then it's the process of actually undertaking that and doing that. And I think that's where the challenge probably starts. And I think it's interesting. We've got two different kind of um, backgrounds and two different approaches to specialty training, obviously being an international student and then somebody coming in from um, a home uh, graduate. Also the NHS pathway on this side, Mm. and then we've got more of a private pathway on this side. So there's a lot of differences um, between them. But um, Mohammed, if you'd just give us a little bit of um, uh, background of your experiences of that application process and then actually getting onto the training program, how did you go about doing that? How did you find that? Yeah. Um, so um, as soon as I graduated, um, I was kind of indoctrinated into the process of uh, seeking some specialty <laughs> training. Um, I mean, you get you get taught by your professors that you need to be a specialist. You need to develop yourself. Um, but I I think the the period that I had 
in general practice kind of shaped my mind a little bit better to be able to understand what I'd like to do. Um, so uh, to be honest, I started immediately after I graduated, I started applying. And obviously it's a little bit more difficult when you're a fresh graduate, you don't have any experience. Um, you're not really sure what you want. Mm -hmm. And that kind of shows when you go to interviews for mm -hmm. into programs, they start asking you all these kind of generic questions. Why are you here? Why have you chose this? And you don't have like the sweet answer that they want to hear. <laughs> um, so yeah, it took me a while, to be honest. The process was um, for an international student, obviously you need to uh, provide some further documents. Um, you need to provide a certificate of English proficiency. Um, you need to provide a certificate um, uh, pertaining your your experience. Uh, you need to provide some um, recommendation letters. Um, and then you start um, applying. So I applied to, to multiple programs. Um, in the UK, this is the only program I applied to. Okay. Um, it, it was so kind we're of... We're lucky to have got you then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was kind of it's kind of different. I wasn't to be honest. It's kind of it's kind of weird how I got here. Um, I wasn't thinking about coming to the UK, um, and then I was speaking to one of my previous mentors, who was a periodontist. We started speaking about Eastman specifically. Um, the program was run by uh, used to be run by a uh, a large figure in perio, uh, Maurizio Tonetti. Um, so this guy. Um, is kind of a legend in the period yeah, world. Um, and everyone knew the kind of uh, education that they had at, at Eastman uh, because, uh, because of this guy. And obviously this trickled down afterwards. And as far as I understood when I got here, the level and the um, of education was even high before he got here. Mm -hmm. But the, the, um, the kind of world-renowned fame uh, came after he got here. Um, so yeah, I, I compiled all of my documents and uh, I went for it. And to be honest, I didn't expect to get accepted. Okay. Um, I came here um, in March 2018. I did the interview, I did an exam, and 24 hours later, they told me I got accepted. That's great. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot to it. So. You, Again, we talk about the differences between the NHS and private pathway. There might be a perception if it's private, it's as long as you sign that check for the amount of money that's required, you're straight in. But it's a, a lengthy process and it's quite difficult to get in, I would imagine. Is, is that, is that yeah. true? Yeah. So I applied, the, I applied for two times mm -hmm. um, at Eastman. Mm -hmm. And I've been applying for five years before I got accepted anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So it's... It's kind of a challenging, yeah. And then Olivia, from the from the other side of that, from the NHS entry into orthodontics, how did you how did you go about applying? How was the application process for you? Yeah, so the application process is essentially national recruitment. Mm -hmm. um, so again, it's a competitive entry process. Um, first of all, so this applies to anyone applying through the home student route. You need to make sure that you've obviously got your dental degree registered with the GDC. Ideally, you need to have the MFDS and MJDF qualifications as well. So that's really important. And you need to make sure that you've met the eligibility criteria as well to apply for the specialist training. So in terms of my process, so I applied in January 2019. 
Um, so that was my first attempt essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I had to do was first of all, apply online. So the adverti- advertisement appeared in Oriel. So applied mm-hmm. online, made sure I met all the eligibility, eligibility criteria and everything like that. Um, and then you have to submit some documents online and then they decide if you get shortlisted for interview. Mm-hmm. Um, so then following the shortlisting, so you get an email to invite you to the selection center. So it was one interview day actually that took place. I remember April, 2019 in Newcastle. So, um, in order, so essentially for that interview, I had to put together a really comprehensive portfolio of my career to date. So mm-hmm. massive folder I put together. Yeah, lots of paperwork. Lots of paperwork, exactly. Um, and yes, yeah, so it was a full day of interviews in Newcastle. Um, and it's sort of panel style interviews. So. Um, the interviews covered different areas. So it was sort of clinical governance, management and leadership, clinical scenarios, um, communication stations. And then there was a station about my portfolio and my career to date. Um, And then essentially after that, you then have to preference the jobs that are available. Um, So Oriel will release the jobs and posts that are there. And then you rank the jobs according to which ones you obviously want first and last. And then in terms of the job offer, so the way that works is it's sort of a marrying up between uh, your job preferencing and then your ranking at the interviews because every every candidate gets a score. So um, I was really fortunate, I actually got my first choice job at the Eastman. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so then I started my training October, 2019. So the main thing I would say for home students is really useful website is the Orthodontic National Recruitment website because it has all the information there you need in terms of timelines and what to expect, the eligibility criteria and interview process. That was really useful. Yeah, I think that's the same for all specialties where it's through through the NHS National Recruitment. Mm. Um, So I think, again, that's been changed slightly because of COVID, but I think we'll probably go back to a similar kind of um, route as, as what you went through. And it's quite quite competitive as well, my understanding. So is, is there a lot of spaces? Are there way more people than apply? How, how does it work in terms of, yeah, yeah. In terms so, of that side? I mean, each year it varies. I mean, ortho is a very popular specialty. So mm. one of the most popular in the UK. Um, I think the year that I applied, there were roughly 20 or so places in the whole of the UK mm-hmm. and there were applicants in the hundreds. So it was a very competitive process. Yeah. And you got to be prepared to move unless you're lucky like yeah, yourself and exactly. get where you want to be. Yeah, that's, that's great. And then obviously you undertake your programs, um, you do all your studying, and then there's that end point where you finish and you want to become a specialist essentially. And I think a lot of people listening maybe don't fully understand that process of what actually do you need to do to become a specialist. Um, so Olivia, I don't know if you want to talk through what what actually happens. Do you just need to pass an exam and then you're a specialist? Do you have to send off some pay? How does it work? How do you get onto the register? So in terms of getting onto the register, so first of all, you've got to make sure that you've essentially passed the exams that are on your program. Mm. So for me, um, I'll sort of answer your question in terms of what you have to do during training and then towards the end of your training. Yeah. So during your training, you've got to make sure that you um, essentially can Um, complete all these work-based assessments. You've got these clinical evaluation exercises. Um, You've got direct um, observed procedural skills that will be assessed by consultants that you work with. Mm -hmm. Um, And then at the end of each year during your training, 
um, you essentially have to do the, what's known as the ARCP. So that's checking that at the end of the year that you've met the competencies to progress to the next year. Mm -hmm. um, alongside that, so in orthodontics, I also had to do a master's project as well. So you have to sit exams in relation to the Mclindent side and the master's um, project that you're doing. Is that fair for everybody? Everybody that does ortho has to so, do that? Not everyone has to do it actually. So in, in my year and as far as I know, the year above and the year below me, everyone is doing one. Mm -hmm. um, but actually there is an alternative path, which is rather than sitting or doing a master's and a dissertation, um, you actually have to um, write two research papers within that th three year time frame. Okay. But most people tend to do the structured do the master's, master's program. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so then as you get towards the, the end of the three years, so towards the end of your training, um, you then have to sit your membership in orthodontics examination. Um, so there are two examinations you can sit. So one is the bicollegiate exam. Um, so that's with the Royal College of Surgeons in England and Glasgow, or you can sit at the exam with the Royal College of Surgeons in Edinburgh. So you can choose which exam to sit. They're relatively similar, essentially. Um, and they essentially involve first parts, usually with multiple choice questions, short answer questions, so a written style paper. And then the second bit is um, more of the sort of Viva style examinations, OSCEs, communication stations, um, and you have to present your treated case, cases, so patients that you've treated in the three years. Mm -hmm. So once you've passed essentially all of those hurdles over the three yeah, years, <laughs> <laughs> then essentially you can apply to the General Dental Council to then be a part of the specialist list. So that's the whole process essentially. Okay. Yeah. So you have to pass all of that yeah. and then you go to the General Dental Council. Exactly. So yeah. Okay. Um, and then Mohammed is slightly different, isn't it? In being with the monospecs of Perio, Endo, Pras, with them being privately funded programs. So you're affiliated with the university, is that right? And then mm -hmm. is it just like a normal master's exam where you have coursework and you have exams through the university or how does it work in getting that Mclindent or Hmm. whatever the, the end qualification is. Hmm. So um, um, usually there's a, as, as Olivia said, there's a three-year structured program, mm -hmm. involves a clinical component and a didactic component, and there's usually also a research component. Mm -hmm. um, you have to pass, obviously, all of your exams. Um, and then once you're done with all of that and you pass your thesis viva, um, and you pass your final examinations, then you can apply um, to to take the Royal College exam, yeah. um, and you have a um, you have a choice between doing the Royal College of exam, Royal College of England, or the Royal College of Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. um, once you pass that exam, then you can um, basically create a portfolio and then uh, submit that to the uh, specialty uh, registrar at the GDC to to apply. Uh, for a specialty post. Okay, so you get your, so by passing the university component, you get your Mclindent, is that yep. right? Yep. And then you pass your Royal College exams and then what, what do, you, do you get a piece of paper? What do you get from passing the Royal College exams? So uh, basically what you get is a certificate. Mm -hmm. You get the membership in um, restorative dentistry. Mm -hmm. um, it's the, the nomenclature now has changed a little bit. It's called Imperio, Membership Imperio, Membership in Prosthodontics or Membership in Endodontics. Mm -hmm. um, and with that piece of certificate, you can obviously apply. And then you take that to whoever, so the GDC, or if you go back to Saudi, you take it to, yeah. and you just take it to whoever to get registered. Yeah. Okay, so that's great. And then, so Olivia, I think another thing that people probably get quite confused about or something that I have been confused about in the past is people talk about post-CCST and there's this 
phrase CCST gets thrown around. Um, what what does that mean? What is CCST? What's post-CCST? For anybody that's yeah. looking into this, what does any of that mean? So CCST is basically your certificate of completion of specialist training. Mm-hmm. So when so before you're a specialist, you're doing your pre-CCST training. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the phase that I'm in now. Um, but then once you've completed your three years in orthodontics, then you can choose to do what's known as post-CCSD training, which is where you do an additional two years. You're already a specialist. You do an additional two years on top of the three years to then become a consultant within the NHS. So that's essentially what that is. Okay. Yeah. So so with ortho, it's, it's, I think there's a variation between the specialties, aren't there? So within orthodontic, pediatrics, mm. um, you do three years and you're yep. a specialist and then you can do this exactly. top up to be a consultant. That's right. Exactly. And then in some of the other specialties like restorative, it's just a five-year run-through program. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's great. Um, So if there was somebody that was listening that was thinking about applying to Perio or applying to any of the monospecs really, or applying through any of the NHS pathways, Mm. what advice would you give to somebody who's considering doing that, either in relation to the application process or actually what to expect or how to actually get through the program to the end do you have any advice having gone through it both of you Mm. i think uh, the last point that you touched on is getting through the program to the end (laughs) is the most important part um so if you're thinking about applying to this program obviously the most important thing that you need to be sure about is i really want this as a specialty that i'm going to practice for the next 25 to 30 years of my life so that needs to be uh, taking with a pinch of salt. You, um, I would recommend uh, getting um, uh, getting yourself familiar with these practices. Uh, maybe do uh, some sort of rotations with mm-hmm. uh, high-level consultants to be able to understand what the practice, the daily practice of these specialties uh, entail. So, so some, some work experience, essentially. Go exactly. and see people doing this job to make sure that's what you want to do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that would be very helpful in choosing the correct pathway. Mm-hmm. Um, once that's done, uh, then obviously you can start developing yourself before you can even apply, or you can do it simultaneously. So start taking courses, um, start uh, reading up on, on topics related to the specialty that you're interested in. Uh, that's going to help you a lot during interviews. That's going to help you a lot uh, with creating your CV, with creating like a very strong application that is going to help you to get accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to be aware of the timeline um, of when uh, schools open up their application processes and when do they close. Um, so, um, and you need to be able to create um, all the paperwork profile before that periods open up. Um, so what that entails is um, if you need any, obviously, English proficiency exam results, you need to do that before that. Uh, if you need any funding, you need to uh, apply for funding before. Um, so that helps a lot in getting accepted. Obviously, funding is a big part of it. Um, if you are self-funded, then you'll be asked at the at the interview, uh, and obviously you need to provide some sort of proof of self-funding. How are you going to pay for it, basically? Exactly. Yeah. Um, if you have a scholarship, then you need to provide some sort of documentation to prove that you do have some uh, some funding from another source. Uh, so getting all of that um, sorted out before you actually apply helps a lot. And then how do you choose? You had a, a, a maybe a different um, 
approach you had the whole world to choose from uh, potentially um maybe people of home graduates might just be looking in the uk but how do yeah. you choose which of all of these institutions to apply for i know you mentioned about the reputation was a big thing for yeah. you yeah but is there anything else that you can uh, any advice that you can give on how to assess between different places which is going to be the best for you yeah uh, to be honest, there is no sophisticated answer for this. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I, the, the, the best thing that you could do is um, try to ask some previous graduates. Mm -hmm. um, so you can ask previous graduates in, from any program. Um, uh, that, that um, let's say, acquisition, um, inquisition uh, phase is really important uh, to be able to create some sort of idea of how the program looks like, um, so you need to understand whether um, the 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 country that you're moving to um, is suitable for you. The program that you're moving to is suitable as well. Um, so asking previous graduates would be the biggest part. Um, and then you'd need to obviously check on uh, registries uh, to be able. There's a lot of um, international organizations that rank programs. Um, so you could you could check on those if you obviously want a level of high quality education you want to go to one of the best schools yeah yeah um, and then you'd need to check how dentistry in general is practiced in that country and whether you think that is reasonable um, to within the context of you taking that experience back home um, so yeah okay that's great and. I don't know if you know the answer to this, but do you find that between programs there might be a different slant on things or are they quite similar? So for example, as from people that you've spoken to, would one program maybe have more exposure to implants, one less exposure? Or do you think that a perio program pretty much you're going to do the same things wherever you go? Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting point. It's, it's, it's quite different between all different programs in the world, um, even in the same country. There's, there's a lot of differences. Um, so in Europe in general, uh, there's a tendency to, to focus a lot on traditional periodontics, um, attempting uh, very hard to save teeth. Uh, if you go to North America, it's the other way around. Uh, there's a lot of implantology. There's a lot of extraction and replacement. Um, I'm not sh quite sure why is that, but I mean, um, it's it's quite obvious that there are these differences in practice. Now, what I would say is whether you go to Europe or whether you go to North America, um, the final end product is going to be similar in terms of the mindset, in terms of the understanding of the literature, the understanding of uh, treatment planning, uh, the, and the hand skills that you are going to acquire in these programs. So everyone is going to be adequate by the mm -hmm. time they graduate. Yeah. Uh, whether they can do, whether they did a lot of implants or not is not here or there. Uh, you are going to do implants anywhere you go mm -hmm. and you are going to do a heavy periodontal component anywhere you go. It, the, the differences then become subtle be, between these programs. So speaking to people and trying to see what kind of fits in with what you want, I guess, what you want to get out of the program. Yeah. And so, Olivia, a similar question, really. People that are considering pursuing any NHS pathway or orthodontics in particular, what advice can you can you give to them? 
Yeah, so I think Mohammed has covered a lot of it actually already, <laughs> but I completely agree. The main thing I'd say is speak to people who are either currently specializing or who've just completed their specialist training. Mm -hmm. They're the best people, best place to tell you exactly what the whole process is like and how to do it. Um, I think also it's really important, important to speak to consultants in the field that you want to specialize in mm -hmm. to find out what their day-to-day -day is like in hospital and what they think about their specialty in general mm -hmm. and where it's going. Um, another um, something I would advise would be to shadow um, specialists in practice. So go to practice, see what the practice setting is like, see what the day-to-day -day job would look like and really think, is this what you want to do for the rest of your life? Because it's as Mohammed was saying, you're committing to this specialty for about you know, 30, 35 years. You have to make sure you love it and that you definitely want to do it. Um, so once you've decided that that's the specialty for you, the next thing is jumping the hoops or getting through the hoops yeah. and hurdles. So you then need to start preparing your portfolio. Um, and I would advise trying to do this early. So what, by, what I mean by that is if you're a home student applying, you probably need to, you know, you've done your dental foundation training. You're going to be applying for dental core training if you're thinking of specialty training. Mm -hmm. But actually at the dental core training phase, start preparing your portfolio for your specialist applications because you need to make sure, um, because in your portfolio that you prepare, you have to have your academic achievements. That's like undergraduate and postgraduate prizes. You've got to have evidence of teaching, management and leadership, clinical skills, all of these things, you've got to get your publications and audits and everything sorted. So the earlier you can do that, the better. Um, and also speak to the people you're working with when you're doing your dental core training. Um, so if you speak to current, for example, consultants or registrars, they might be able to involve you in some of the projects they're doing. Mm -hmm. And therefore you're able to get publications and audits out of that as well. So that's what I'd recommend. Um, and then, as I mentioned earlier, then going on to the Orthodontic National Recruitment website or whichever website for your specialty, mm -hmm. just to see what the person specification is um, and just see what the requirements are. So you make sure you're ticking all that boxes, all those boxes for your training and to get into training. So, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think, um, like you mentioned there, the, the information is available. If you are thinking about specializing, then go on the websites. They'll mm -hmm. tell you what the requirements are and then start early and, and start ticking off those tick boxes unfortunately it is kind of that way in the nhs um so so that's applying so so assume that somebody has listened to your advice they've managed to get onto one of these programs do you have any advice for once you start what should you expect is it going to be that's your whole life is it going to be like some of the courses that have got a reputation of you know making people divorced because they're that stressful how, how does it how how does it work? How, what advice would you give for somebody that starts these courses? Yeah. So um, from my experience as, as, an, as an international student, um, the first year specifically was quite intense. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you don't have a life at that point. <laughs> um, your life consists of going to the hospital, going to the school, getting back home, preparing your, uh, your work for tomorrow. And during the weekend, you basically can relax for, a, let's say, half a day. <laughs> Um, so it's quite intense in, in, in that sense, but then, um, the, f the more you move on in the course, the, the more, the easier it becomes, uh, to, to, to get sorted out, uh, to, to enroll yourself in the system, to be able to understand all the, um, all the small ticks and tricks to be able to deal with day-to-day, -day, uh, operations. Mm -hmm. Um, what I can recommend, uh, obviously, and this is really important, is um, get yourself familiar with your year group. That helps a lot. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it's not an individual effort. You can never do this alone. Uh, you yeah. have to do it with your year group. Um, and that helps a lot. You can you can basically um, delegate. You can divide the work between you. You can uh, help each other uh, to try to sort out uh, everything uh, as 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 quickly as possible. Um, so once you get settled um, after the first year, then it becomes much much easier. Um, that that's not to say that the program is not intense mm-hmm. um, during the whole three year process. But it becomes much more uh, um, easier. Okay, Olivia, what's it like within orthodontics? Is it is it similar to that? Would you say? I mean, I think it's like with anything. I think we all remember our first day when we were working in dental practice after graduating. So I think it's similar to that. That first year when you step into things, there are challenges. You're getting used to working in a new environment with new people, um, but it's all challenges that. Are pos- end up being positives. Mm-hmm. So you learn to adapt really quickly. As Mohammed was saying, it's really, really important. You have like a team that you're working with, the other mm-hmm. registrars or trainees you're working with. It's really important that you all work together as a team because it makes things so much easier. Um, other things I think just make it really helpful and the trainees at the Eastman are really great with this is um, just asking advice from people in the year above you mm-hmm. because they'll help guide you through all the hurdles that you have to pass through. Um, so yeah, I'd say first year challenging, but then the rest of it, just really enjoy it and try to make sure you have a work-life balance. That's really important. That's good advice. Yeah. Uh, and then both of you guys have finished or are nearly finished this, this component of your, of your uh, career. What's next? What's your next steps? Where are you going from here? Mohammed? What, what are you doing next? So as I was telling you guys, <laughs> I'm flying back tomorrow. Okay. Um, so I'm going back home to Saudi Arabia. Um, hopefully, um, so I'm going to start working back in practice, private practice again. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully I'll get a job in education as well, uh, part-time, um, and then try to find that balance between education and, uh, private practice. Um, at this period of my life, I'd like to develop my personal life a little <laughs> bit more. Uh, obviously there's a lot of catch up, uh, that yeah. I need to go through. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, the, the future is, uh, looks, looks bright, um, after you graduate. Sounds good. And, uh, Olivia, what, what are you thinking? So we talked earlier about this, um, post, uh, CCST yeah, yeah. situation. Mm-hmm. Is that something you're tempted by? Are you going to look yeah. at practice or? I mean, definitely. So my plan is, so I'll be sitting the MORTH in summer 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I want to pursue the consultant pathway. So I'd definitely be doing the extra two years of training there. But in terms of my long-term goals, I really want to sort of split my life between sort of NHS hospital and then also private practice. So definitely want to do the two of those. And I think also with dentistry, I think we all have to remember in healthcare professions is important to give back as well. So something that I've always really loved doing and I started as an undergraduate was actual dental volunteering. Mm -hmm. So I set up some dental volunteer projects in Africa and in India. Um, and so I want to essentially carry on doing that once I finished my training, um, and dedicate some time in my career doing that as well. So yeah. That sounds great. And what's, what's that called? Is there a name for those organizations? Yeah. Yeah. So they, um, so one project in India was called the Amchi project. So that was in the Himalayas. And then the other project was the Promoja project, which was in Tanzania. So with both of those projects, essentially it went out to the Himalayas in India 
um, and then in Tanzania as well. And it was with a team of dentists and dental students, about 30, 35 of us. Mm -hmm. And we were delivering oral health education to children um, who were in both of those countries, providing them with emergency dental care um, and everything and the equipment that they needed as well in the dental schools. So dental materials we were providing to the dental universities out there as well. So that was really great. That's great. That's, yeah. that's really good. Um, so, so bringing it back, so that, that post CCST, I know we keep talking about this. What what is the what do you what what is the process? Is it applying back through national recruitment again? Uh, how, how do you do it? Is it competitive? Is there, can you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah, sure. So uh, yes, it is another competitive process. So national <laughs> You'll be recruitment. Used to it by now. Yeah, exactly. So national recruitment. Once again, you've got to prepare your portfolio. Again, there's like a person specification eligibility criteria. Um, there's an interview process, which is relatively similar to the um, process to get into orthodontic training in the first place um, with a, and in terms of the actual consultant training. So there's a lot of focus, not only on your clinical skills, but also on management and leadership, because essentially they're training to be a leader and also an educator within the NHS. Mm -hmm. um, so at the end of those two years, you then sit another examination, which hopefully <laughs> will be the last one that I would have to sit <laughs> in my career. Um, and then once you've done that, then um, you're essentially a consultant orthodontist. Um, so yeah, so once you've done that, you can work in NHS, um, in the hospital. Um, and as I said, I want to juggle that with working in practice too. Perfect. So, yeah. That sounds great. Uh, so we're asking all of our guests, these final two questions. So the first one would be to ask you to describe three things that you enjoy about your, your current role. What, what would you say? What are the three best things about your current role? I mean, um, best things are, um, getting, being able to provide, um, quality care for your patients. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously that's really important, uh, with perio it's, a, it's a lifelong relationship with the patient. So getting the patient back and seeing there's the smile on their faces actually is very rewarding. Mm -hmm. Um, so I enjoy that a lot. The other thing I enjoy is surgery, obviously, um, <laughs> every, uh, every perio, um, specialist enjoys that a lot. All those different suturing techniques, you're really, yeah. really into that. You. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's so fun. Um, and um, I'm not sure, but I, 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 I wish uh, and I hope that the money is enjoyable as well after I'm done with this. But uh, we'll have to wait and see how it works out. Well, what about you, Olivia? What are three things that you enjoy about your um, Yeah, so for me, um, so I'd say definitely caring for people, caring for patients, looking after them. And I think also the fact that we get to work with such like a wide demographic of patients. You learn something new every single day from working with different people and it's a real nice variety. So that would be the first thing. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the second thing, um, I would probably say it's that you feel, and I think this is not just specific to orthodontics, but dentistry in general, is that you're able to actually really improve the psychosocial well-being of your patients as well. Um, so you're either, you know, giving them the smile they want, getting their gums nice and healthy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, you know, we as dentists really, really benefit patients. And I think we always develop a partnership with our patients that is, I think, second to none. I don't think you get that appreciation in, in any other area. Mm. Um, and then the third thing that I would say would be, I think this is also specific to the Eastman is working with um, a multidisciplinary team where you have 
all of these incredible specialists all in one building who are all at the top of their game and you've just got a pool of knowledge that you can access mm. at any time you want. So yeah, those are the three things I'd say. Perfect. And then finally, now you're at this stage and you can reflect a little bit on your uh, journey to this point. If you're going to go back and give some advice to your younger selves, what, ad what advice would you give? Um, I definitely uh, tell myself to be less resistant um, to change. Mm -hmm. um, that was one of my uh, biggest weaknesses in the beginning. I was quite resistant to change. It's a new environment. It's a new country. Uh, there's different practices that I'm, than what I'm used to. Um, and that basically delayed my um, process of learning. Uh, so I definitely be a little bit more open-minded than the beginning. Mm -hmm. And you, Olivia? Um, for me, I'd say um, it's important to find your passion and follow your passion. And then once you've found it, then make sure you commit to it and do the work. Um, but also enjoy a work-life balance as well. That's really, really important and enjoy the journey. So that's why I'd say. That's great. Perfect. Great thing to end on, I think, there. So thank both of you so much for your time and for sharing your experiences with us. Uh, I'm sure our listeners will find it really useful and good luck with those onward journeys. Thank you thank very you. much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. We would love to hear your suggestions for future guests. Remember to follow us on social media using hashtag the Eastman Dental Podcast. And if you like what you hear, please like, share, subscribe and listen out for future episodes.